And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. It is Monday, Money Madness Monday. But I got a couple of things here uh, to get to. Welcome, everyone. The chat is open. The comments are open. We do have an email address, live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. We're on all the socials. We have a newsletter that I need to work on at some point. <clears throat> Those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, you are welcome as well. And if you're interested in listening to this show as a podcast, we are available on a number of players. So you can check that out. Just do a search for Sci-Fi for Me and we should pop up. Lots of stuff going on. Um, real quick... I don't know exactly if this is a sign of the end times or not, but if you're up in the Atlantic City area, Fredericksburg, Charlottesville, Baltimore, Cicada NATO looks like it's happening now. This is a post from Lauren Ricketts, who's a meteorologist up there. This green on the radar is not rain and it's not ground clutter. It is a group of cicadas being picked up on the radar so i don't know mutant cicadas maybe we'll get uh, we'll get to we'll get to some mutant mutant turtles here in a minute but uh anyhow just uh, just one one quick thing uh about the the internet drama the youtube drama all of the fandom drama that's been going on over the weekend uh mrs boss had an occasion to uh uh, talk with me about it. We, we were discussing this. And over the past couple of years since we have relaunched and, and brought all of this back, I have expressed a little bit of frustration at times uh, that we don't get invited to a number of streams. And as the drama plays out in the YouTube sphere, I'm reminded God moves in mysterious ways. And there's probably a reason why we didn't get invited to a number of these things because we're not part of that group. We're not part of that drama. Not my circus, not my monkeys, as they say. So uh, that is uh, something we have been able to avoid. And I'm very happy about that. Now, uh, that does uh, mean that we're on our own, and if you want to support us because we're on our own, there's a couple of different ways you can do that. We do have a PayPal account that you can support us that way. We also have a Subscribestar account, which I need to update, and so there are those ways that you can do that. Send us money. If you're so inclined, we'll use that to go to events and buy new cameras and microphones and such. And speaking of money, let's bring in our money experts, Matt Stevens and Dan Danford with us again this morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Hi there. Uh, Matt Stevens is an independent advisor, financial advisor, investment advisor. Dan is the CEO of the Family Investment Center. And every first Monday of the month, we're going to sit and talk about a few different items that are related into our genre, and we're happy to have uh, both of them here for their expertise because this is not anything that I really have a lot of uh, knowledge about. I play catch-up quite a bit. But this this first item that I wanted to get to, I, we mentioned the cicadas, the the... the the Ninja Turtles apparently have uh, have caused a problem. The the latest movie, I guess. Uh, this is a report from Uproxx, and it's quoting a, uh, an article out of the New York Times. Uh, reading here, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have just met their greatest foe, yet taxes. According to a report from the New York Times, Viacom, which owns the rights to the Turtles, along with Transformers, and a slew of other intellectual property, 
is under intense scrutiny after a Dutch nonprofit alleged that the media conglomerate has been going to great lengths to avoid paying the U.S. government billions in taxes by using a convoluted loophole where it attributed revenue from the blockbuster franchises to foreign entities. And basically it goes in here saying that they're using uh, they're using an England-based subsidiary which has assigned all of the rights to a Dutch-based subsidiary, somewhere over in the Netherlands, and is avoiding apparently almost $2 billion in taxes and coming on the heels of the stock going kaput and all of the different things that have been going on with Viacom CBS, this doesn't seem like it's a very well-timed article, or maybe it is. Maybe it is a perfectly timed article as a, as a hit on Viacom. What, what kind of a, what kind of fallout could we be looking at here for, for stock for Viacom CBS now? Well, it sounds like they're definitely piling on. I don't, I can't imagine the advantages of what they've done, except just, make their income hard to find. I, I, hard to believe that there are any actual loopholes involved in this. Dan, do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, it's not unusual at all for uh, American corporations to uh, seek ways to diminish their taxes. And uh, if they felt like, you know, the royalties belonged uh, in, in a company in some other location, um, and that would not be subject to tax. I mean, it really doesn't surprise me that they've done that. Um, like Matt says, I, I don't really think it, maybe it's a loophole. It's pretty well known that uh, corporations move, uh, you know, parts of their business to other parts of the world. And then, you know, there was a huge thing uh, three or four years ago where um, uh, President Trump talked about the massive amounts of money that were sitting in other parts of the world and those corporations wouldn't bring it into the United States for fear of triggering a bunch of new taxes. Right. And so he actually came up with part of his plan was to allow them to bring that in with a lower tax rate in some fashion. So um, this is hardly surprising. It may not be right, but it's pretty common, I think, out there. But two two billion dollars overseas um and hoping that it doesn't hit the u.s shores ever but well, i would think it's taxable over there also well yeah. i would i would think that they'd have to pay some kind of tax on it somewhere and it it sounded like uh, based on the uh things that i read that really the business is out of new york uh new york city new york state anyway that the only thing that is there are the licenses, which are in uh, the Netherlands. So if that's the case, then uh, it, it would seem to me that, you know, if they think they can go after that money, they will go after that money. And it will create a cash flow problem because, I mean, if they had to pay several billion dollars in taxes, uh, that's money that comes off the balance sheet and goes to Uncle Sam. So that's, I mean, it's just, I, I, I look at this and I think Hollywood math, Hollywood accounting has to come into play at, on this at some point because, oh, we didn't make a profit. Nudge, yes. nudge, wink, mm -hmm. wink. But here's, you know, here they're sitting in $2 billion that they've avoided in taxes. Somebody's making a profit somewhere, it seems like. I agree completely. <laughs> That's crazy. All right, so Sci-Fi Snob in the chat says, ask the advisors for a surefire stock that I can get cheap and that will gain 10 <laughs> times its value very quickly. But <laughs> And I think oh, yeah. we probably have something we probably have something that we can talk to them about. AMC. Is that uh, I mean, we can talk about things that that's happened to in the past. But, uh, up 1100% in 2021. They're raising $230.5 million uh, through uh, selling 8.5 million shares of stock. They're cashing in on the frenzy. This article here, Medicine Hat News. I don't know. I don't know who they are. 
Uh, theaters and other beleaguered industries like restaurants and concert venues were anticipating the return of crowds over the next few months while the massive U.S. vaccination effort ongoing. John Krasinski's thriller sequel, A Quiet Place Part Two, opened over the Memorial Day weekend to a pandemic best $48.4 million. So things are coming back. But AMC, of course, got caught up in all of that meme investing mm-hmm. like we saw with GameStop and, and everything else. And this stock frenzy, I guess, AMC has decided we're going to take advantage of it and see what we can do. CEO Adam Aaron held a video call with retail investors, expressed a desire for the company to sell 25 million additional new shares. Now, what would this do to the existing shares? Does this decrease the value of what's already out there if there's more of them? Uh, well, not necessarily. It depends on how much money they bring in. Uh, you know, if, they, if it's properly priced, it won't hurt it. It will actually tend to help the existing shareholders. So it's it's all a matter of pricing. But now it will hurt the people who are short. <laughs> or, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. The, the people who own it, it will cause the stock to... Uh, It'll impact the price because there'll be more shares out there. Well, and this article here from NASDAQ, I mean, uh, Snob's asking, do we really think AMC will be doing a 1,000% better after the pandemic? It says here, following recent explosive gains for the company stock, AMC now has a market capitalization of roughly $26 billion, up more than 5,300% year-to-date. That's... That, I, I, I don't know anything about this kind of stuff, but it seems to me that this might be a little unusual performance in the marketplace. If I, do I have that right? It's not industry-based. So. No. Yeah, this is, I mean, it, really, this is GameStop, or GameStop all over again. Yeah. You have um, a group of institutional investors um, that, that own a lot of shares. Um, you have a, a group of, of institutional investors who think it's priced too high, so they have uh, sold the stock short. And then you have the meme people, which are the people on Reddit and other things, who say, you know, let's stick it to the short seller guys. And so they start kind of pumping the price. And that's what's happened is the price has gone way up, um, not necessarily for economic reasons. I mean, Long term, a stock price goes up because the profitability outlook goes up. In this case, it seems independent of that. Um, I mean, I don't think there's any question that more people will be going to the movies next year than last year. That's for sure. But not at the multiples that this stock price has gone up, I don't think. So this looks to me to be artificial in the marketplace, kind of like GameStop did. What kind of correction do you think might come out of this? At some point, somebody says, well, you know what? It's really not that that valuable, and yeah. it starts to go down. Are we, are we going to see a drop by, what, 50%, 70%? What, do you, what, what would be a normal – I know it's not a normal increase in the value in terms of how, it, how the stock usually goes – but what what kind of correction do you think we could expect with something like this? If I'm gonna if I'm gonna buy a thousand shares of, of AMC, and I and I, we're we're just talking here, we're not giving official advice or anything like that. But but if I'm if I'm gonna buy stock in AMC, what should I be expecting here in the next year to two years, five years? Well. It was trading right around $10 a share through most of the year until it started going up about a month and a half ago. Now, they'll be bringing in a lot more money at a higher price, so that'll actually make those $9 shares, $10 shares worth more. So, I mean, there's no no telling. You get these shorts out, maybe it will come out to, you know, trade higher than it was before. But, I mean, it doesn't seem to be worth $58 a share. So. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the key point is uh, kind of to what Matt is saying is it's really almost impossible to predict what happens next. Um, a lot of this is driven by sentiment and emotions rather than by the numbers. Right. And when you get people involved uh, 
from an emotional standpoint, it's hard to say. I mean, so the price job jumped from 10 to 58. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, you know, incredible jump. Who's to say tomorrow something doesn't come out and it drops back down to 10. Well, that's an 80% drop from 58. (laughs) So, I mean, it it could happen. I'm not saying it will happen, Mm -hmm. but it, you know, in my mind, it would be just as likely to be cut in half as it would to grow by half. But either of those things are on the table. Well, and you've got the street.com. This was posted uh, today. Uh, AMC set for more volatility as options trading heats up. So it doesn't look like this thing has settled anywhere yet. Uh, AMC shares were up 2.57% in pre-market trading after Reuters reported that Wall Street traders and investors are teeing up bets in the options market. That would limit losses should retail traders continue their collective effort to push shares of AMC and other meme stocks higher. So what does this mean? If if we're oh. if we're working in if we're now doing the options market as a as a way to safeguard against, you know, the Reddit guys and the meme stocks and say, okay, we're gonna push AMC. Well, well, when you buy an option, if when you own an option your loss is limited to what you pay for it as opposed to being short. Okay. So, so, so whatever, whatever the value, whatever, so whatever the value does, all your, all your out is the amount of money you pay for the option because you're not actually buying a stock. Is that right? Correct. You're buying a right to purchase the stock at a certain price for a certain amount of time. Now the problem is that time is diminishing every day. Right. So, at some point, if the stock doesn't do what you want it to, you will lose that time value, and yet could essentially be a hundred percent of your investment. And it, it is often. Now, can you so, sell? Can you but, sell options? If you if you buy oh, options, yes. you yeah. decide. Well, okay, yeah. I'm not going to buy the stock anyway. I'm going to sell the option. Absolutely, okay. and there and you are selling. Uh, the other person is on the other side. They're collecting that time premium. Now, but they could potentially have an unlimited loss if they don't take actions to cover it. It'd be just like shorting a stock. Or you could, there are options you could short where if it collapses, you could lose way more, even though you're essentially long the stock, you could lose way more than. Uh, it, usually more the, usually half of the option is an insurance policy. Um, so the guy who owns it at 58 may um, buy puts at 52, which basically means that even if the price drops out from under within this period of time, he can still sell it to somebody for $52 a share, even if it's trading at $22 a share. So that person is trying to lock in a price target. They're trying to say, Hey, no matter what happens with this, I know I'm going to get $52 out of it because I'm going to, I'm going to have a put to be able to do that. It's always important to remember, I think uh, with, especially with a lot of commodities trading and options trading and things like that, that while half the bet is speculation, it's somebody saying, hey, I want to buy something for a dollar that's going to be worth $100. The other half is somebody who's trying to protect what they've got. That, right. is, that is virtually always the case. It's the same with commodities. You know, a, a farmer will sell his field full of corn in the spring at a certain price to protect himself. So even if the price drops over the next three or four months, I know I'll get this much because I've already sold my crop for this much. Mm-hmm. So um, that for, for that person, it's an insurance policy. It's not a speculation. It's the person on the other side of it who's hoping that they can. So whatever that bushel of corn is, they're going to lock in the price today. They're going to guarantee the farmer that price. Their hope is that the price doubles between now and then. And they're going to be able to sell it at a big profit. All they're going to do is I'm going to take it one day. I'm going to sell it the next day and I'm going to make a bunch of money. Right. One side is speculating. The other side is insuring. And that's often the case in the stock market. And what happens if the price bottoms out? I mean, if the, if it, if the, if it drops below where everybody is expecting it to, to stabilize, how, how many, how many people lose? Everybody loses. Well, if uh, you Oh, yeah. if you're short the stock, you don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the guy, that's right. That's right. If you own a put, you don't. Yeah. If you have sold the put, 
you do. A, a put is gives you the right to sell, forces somebody to buy the stock at a certain price. You can put it to them. Yeah. So I see. So they might have like Dan said, fifty-two dollar options right now on AMC, possibly. Well, and as and we've been guess, as we've been talking, it's gone up now to fifty-nine oh two. It's jumped. So and you, know, we could probably get into the option change and and uh, you know quote some prices on it, but it's they're they're very very high risk and yeah. really somebody shouldn't. They're not going to have a good. Well, it's not a good way to invest in the market until you really understand them. Yeah, and and I think it's important to note too. You know, the, the guy in this particular scenario, you're talking hedge funds and stuff. It's kind of like the GameStop thing. Those institutional investors, you know, they're very knowledgeable in this area. Okay. This is what they do all the time. Yeah. So when you're the retail investor and you're betting that it's going to go up to 65 or $70 a share, the smart money's betting it's going to go down from $58 a share. You must think you have a tremendous edge in some fashion if you can bet against all the smart money and come out ahead. You know, I, I, it's not that they know what's going to happen because they don't. But they have a better idea about what's going to happen than probably the rest of us who aren't doing this every day. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, their timing is such a huge element with options. I mean, if you buy at the right time or sell at the right time, you're going to make money. But overall, if the other person, uh, they may know what's going to happen. And, and uh, you know, if you get lucky in, in between, you know. Good luck to you. You may not. You probably won't do it yeah. two or three times in a row. I was going to say, luck is the operative term there. The people that were calling me a few months ago to tell me how great Dogecoin was, uh, they're not calling me anymore. So <laughs> I, I, I never uh, I didn't yeah. buy any. But uh, it's all timing, I think. And they start out strong and then it. Well, and I, so. I saw something on social media. And I don't know if this is something, if if Elon Musk was pushing a a, a a cryptocurrency that apparently turns out to be a scam. Uh, I it was one of those things that just kind of flashed through the feed and it disappeared. So I I didn't get a chance to look at it, and I haven't had a chance to research it. But apparently there's there's one of the cryptocurrencies, not Bitcoin, but one of the one of the outliers. Probably turns out Dogecoin. I, I don't. I, I wouldn't I don't call know. it a scam any more than the rest of them. What? <laughs> But Dogecoin was kind of his that he he got behind, and he's powerful enough that he seems to be able to move it on yeah. his own. That's crazy. And I think it goes back to you know um, there was a period in my uh, investing career where people talked about Microsoft and how much money they'd made in Microsoft, and and uh, many of them would say, "Oh my gosh, I owned Microsoft and then I sold it, and now look what happened." You know, and it went straight to the roof, and people made all this money and stuff. But I think the thing that people don't realize is that you know when Microsoft started, there were dozens of other companies that were trying to do similar things. I mean, it just turned out that Microsoft ended up being the survivor. Yeah. Right. You know, and I think that's what's going to happen with the cryptocurrencies as well. It's I, 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 there's a lot of potential there. There someday, you know, we're we're going to be talking about digital currency or digital assets, and it's going to be a very real thing. The problem is, it's really hard to call the winners today. I and, believe there are. I believe there might be ten thousand different cryptocurrencies yeah. out there. It, the number is huge. Right. And to be honest, if somebody like Elon Musk just picked out any of them and there was a easy access to purchase it, it would probably uh, do well See, I, for a while. I keep seeing ads for crypto.com having a Visa card. It keeps it keeps popping up in, in ads you know through Google over here on YouTube. And I get I, I get to thinking every now and again, you know, when when the apocalypse happens and we're all out, you know, every man, every man for himself and the currency collapses and all we've got left is is what we've got. It might not be a bad idea to have a, a cryptocurrency type of of card or something. But I'm thinking now now here I am anticipating the collapse of the dollar, the the yeah. implosion of the country. And I'm not there yet. 
And I think, you know, China has already uh, tried to uh, are in the process of issuing a cryptocurrency that is, you know, official government uh, currency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see that probably from the Treasury and the, and the Federal Reserve. I, I think there will be a U.S. cryptocurrency. Um, it's not here yet. And that's not exactly, I mean, Bitcoin is obviously the biggest and the best. And I think Bitcoin probably proves the technology. Yeah. But but Bitcoin is not a good substitute for currency. It's way too volatile. Uh, currency needs to have a more stable price so that when you buy that car tomorrow uh, using whatever device you use, that you're still getting, you know, dollar for dollar when you're doing that. You can't do that with Bitcoin because the price may drop too dramatically tomorrow and you need twice as much Bitcoin as you thought today, you know. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, that's got to be solved. And I'm not sure they'll ever, ever solve it with Bitcoin just because of the unique way it was designed. Yeah. But I do think that we will be using uh, uh, digital uh, currencies at some point. Absolutely. Because I'm looking right now, one Bitcoin is valued just a little over $35,500 U.S. Yeah. And yeah. I'm thinking, how how can anybody, if you're if you're just now starting to get into crypto, that's a huge investment just for one Bitcoin. I mean, it it almost seems like it's uh, counterintuitive now, counterproductive. You, you if, if you can't buy in, you've already missed the boat and you're standing there on the pier kind of going, oh, wait, what about me? Well, one of the unique things about, you know, uh, Bitcoin or any of the digital assets is that um, the the. Um, denomination is is not solid i guess is what i would say so (laughs) yes one bitcoin costs thirty eight thousand dollars but you can use a hundredth or a thousandth of a bitcoin to buy something it's not like dollars where the smallest denomination is a penny right you can you can use any digital uh thing to do it so that's not so much the issue the issue with bitcoin is that today it's thirty eight thousand tomorrow it might be twenty two thousand and that doesn't work very well when you go to use your PayPal account to buy something. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, it's, it's you need something that needs to be fair. And there are, and that's uh, going on what Matt said earlier. Yeah. There are dozens of, of cryptocurrencies that are, are vying for a place in the market out there. And their goal is to be more stable. So, you know, there is going to be cryptocurrencies. I just don't think Bitcoin, the way it was designed, will probably ever fill that void. My concern, and and Sci-Fi Snob does confirm we could buy fractions of that. See, I I don't understand Bitcoin any more than I understand the stock market. I I understand the stock market better than I do cryptocurrency. But my my biggest question on this stuff is how, how we come about deciding the value. Because... The dollar is worth a dollar because we say it's worth a dollar. I mean, we're off the gold standard. Nobody wants to do the silver standard. The the dollar is just a piece of paper that has value because we say it does. Cryptocurrency seems to be the same way. It's this this thing that's made out of whole cloth electronically. I mean, it's not even a real tangible thing. How is it? That we can sit there and say, well, yes, this has value only because somebody came up with something ethereal thing that we say it has value. Well, one thing different with uh, Bitcoin is there's a limited number. I'm not yes. sure how many. Yes. Uh, is it 21 million? 21 million. And there will never be any more than that. And you can't say yeah. anything like that about right. dollars. That's so. and, and that is... Now, I'm not investing in Bitcoin, at least not today, yeah. but that is the the argument that the investors use is that it's worth 38000 today and over the next – actually, to get to $21 million is like another 100 years. <laughs> no. So it's right now, to this day, they have issued something like 18 million shares. And they, the, the broad knowledge is that 4 million of them have been lost forever. Okay. Back in the, yeah, I know you look at it like that, but you've heard about the need for digital wallets and all that kind of stuff Yeah, is that 4 million of them have been left behind someplace and will never be found again. So between now 
and 100 years from now, they're going to issue another uh, 3 million, and that's all that will ever be issued. And that is one of the reasons why people think it will become more valuable over time. Now, like you said, there's there's not there's not gold behind it or anything like that. So, you know, I, it, that may end up not being true at all. But that's that's the argument is that they're going to do all this mining. The other thing that happens weirdly is that every two years or every four years, they do what's called a halvening or a halving, which basically means they. So these people mine today, they have these computers that are that are doing uh, massive amounts of work. And in reward for that, for doing it best, they give you a number of Bitcoin. That's your reward for doing that, that are worth 38000 apiece. Right. The price drops by half every four years. So, so, so it's almost and, like and a stock split. It, it is. It, listen, this, this the is same kind um, of concept, maybe. Yeah. Well, all I'm going to say that this was designed by people that are way smarter than me. And it is, <laughs> but it is very interesting. I yeah. will say that. Mm -hmm. But uh, that scarcity is what is driving the price mm -hmm. of Bitcoin. Right. Th this is uncommon. Other cryptocurrencies don't have the same kind of thing. Yeah, there's a, a question in the chat from Robert. Some some people in Alberta tried to start a cryptocurrency called Mana. It was going to be given okay. out to low income people, and there. Uh, Robert's wondering if either of you have heard of that particular one. I have not. Okay. It's interesting though. There's, there's one called Helium. Have Have you heard of that? Now, is no. that is that the Facebook crypto? Helium. No, Helium is. You get a router in your house that broadcasts and has a 10 mile range mm -hmm. and like car washes or things that use low volume, long range or lo low volume uh, internet connections hook up and they charge them for that. And they reward you based off how many pe people hook up a helium coin. So <laughs> I know, and, and they have the having feature in there, but I, they said somebody in Kansas city last month might, they claim might've made 20, helium coins so uh so it's going to take a while for it to take off about, yeah it, it's apparently been around a while and they're about 15 bucks now so yeah. and it seems a little more stable but it's it's just so hard to call the winners and losers at this point oh yeah uh, many of these will will just cease to exist at some point well and the someday the government may decide uh, yeah uh, you know some foreign governments may decide they don't like the private ones and it will be pretty easy to force everyone into it's their own. very disruptive. I mean, one of the one of the illustrations that I heard, and it just gives you an idea of of why all of this is such a big deal, is that um, across the world, in in America, we think of uh, the southern border, but there are borders in countries all across the world, and when immigrants cross a border and go to work anywhere in the world. They typically send money back to their family at home. That right. that happens, mm -hmm. and and the way that they do that today is they use Western Union. And Western Union, everybody knows about. It. They have you know thousands of outlets around the world. And you basically you take your hundred dollars and you say, I want you to send it to these people, but back home, and they keep an eight percent commission. So oh, ninety two dollars wow. reaches mom or dad at home, yeah. but it takes five days to get there. So, so you, you've got an 8% commission and a five-day wait. When they've converted this to cryptocurrency, they're already doing it in many parts of the world. You eliminate the 8% commission completely, and you do away with the five-day wait. It's typically 10 to 15 minutes. Right. Okay? You could just transfer when you take that into account the across the entire world, yeah. you're talking billions of dollars in savings. And that's one of the reasons why... Everybody's interested in this. Even governments are interested in it. I mean, that's why they're talking about having cryptocurrency because it also eliminates the uh, the fluctuations. See, that's the other thing. So I, I send you $92, $100 today. Mom and dad get us $92 later. But if there's been a bad move in the currencies in those two countries, then mom or dad may only get $85 because right. the five days hurt against them. The, the the idea of using cryptocurrencies has has you know really remarkable idea and that's why people are so excited about it well and we're we're earning 
crypto, I think, if, if, I, if I'm looking at this right, because some of the different social media outlets, yeah. Minds is generating crypto, um, Odyssey, uh, video platform also has has the blockchain uh, blockchain technology as well. So it, it seems like everybody's starting to embrace this across the board, both you know, in terms of businesses and social media platforms and, and that kind of thing. Then let me let me let me switch gears here for a second. Cause Dan, yeah. you mentioned w- winners and losers. I want to go back to the Warner Brothers Discovery deal for a minute mm-hmm. because uh, we finally get their official name. It's going to be called Warner Brothers Discovery. Discovery. Yes. And something something that came across in all of this, and I think we talked about it a little bit before, but I want to get into it a little bit more here because there has been now the investor call, the town hall meeting, uh, where CEO John Stanky from AT and T and their and their CFO are, are talking about this deal, and it keeps coming up, but I don't see a whole lot of people talking about this idea that the way it's structured, the seventy one percent of this company that AT and T owns still is all one stock class, and yeah. this. Uh, this thing is basically saying, you know, this could be, uh, this could be the way that they sell the whole thing off completely, gone. Does that seem right to you? Does that seem like a, a an accurate assessment of what's about to happen? Could it could this just be the first shoe, and the second shoe is going to be somebody comes in and buys all of AT and T's ownership? If uh, assuming the merger gets approved by federal regulators in the first place, then you turn right back around and AT&T says, "Okay, we got rid of part of it because the the Warner Brothers element takes 48 million of its debt with them, which means AT&T doesn't have that 48 million anymore in debt. We decide we're going to be a communications company. The media stuff goes off on their own and. Now we're going to sell the rest of that 71%, which is probably why they've put uh, David Zaslav in charge over at Discovery instead of putting a, an AT&T Warner guy in charge. Because well, I, I maybe think, they're getting ready to sell their 71% total and done. Well, I, I think they probably don't want anything to do with it at this point. This type of merger has just been disastrous. Um, in, in 2000, Time Warner paid $162 billion for AOL and their 30 million dial-up subscribers. Yeah. And 15 years later, they sold it for $5 billion to Verizon. Well, and you've got uh, what was it? Dish Network was part of this was part of this deal, and they and they sold that element off at a loss as well. And it just hasn't worked out. You know, they're trying to get content in well when uh, I, mean, I, I think that's what this was all about, just trying to buy content from the Time Time Warner and uh, Discover. I mean, it, let's see. HBO Max was yeah. trying to compete with Disney, and they got, I think, 12 got million. Killed. Yeah. yeah got they got killed. 12 million subscribers, and Disney got 100 million over the same time period. Well, and, and to be fair, though, Disney Plus is in a number of regions worldwide, whereas HBO Max is just now rolling out in several okay. places. I mean, they're, they're here in the United States, but they haven't been anywhere else. And now you've got Discovery Plus, their digital streaming platform that you can merge those two because they have the infrastructure already in place in various countries that HBO Max does not. So I would assume that they're going to merge all of those and all of that then becomes HBO Discovery Max Plus or whatever they're going to call it. And it all becomes the same streaming service. And then maybe they have a subsection, kind of like what Disney Plus is doing with Star, where the more grown-up PG-13R stuff goes under the star label that's a subset. And then maybe HBO Discovery does some kind of a similar arrangement that also, because they also have sports. 
I think it's, I mean, you know, it's becoming apparent that it is a numbers game and it is a scale game. And, um, you know, you you just have to have um, a lot of subscribers, you know, you know, a billion dollars, we get used to throwing those numbers around, but I got to tell you, a billion dollars is a lot of money. (laughs) It (laughs) takes a lot of monthly subscriptions to hit a billion dollars. And some of these deals you're talking, you know, dozens of billions of dollars. Um, you know, you look at Disney with, I think it's a hundred million subscribers or close to a hundred million subscribers Mm -hmm. and, and HBO max got to like 12 billion subscribers or a million. I don't even know whatever the numbers are. They got to a 10th of, of, of Disney. Mm -hmm. What, what they're doing is scratching their heads and saying, we can't make this work. Yeah. Well, there isn't enough revenue here to make this work. Yeah. And Matt, to your point earlier, when you're talking about, you know, AT&T wanted the content, they wanted the they yes. wanted the material. Uh, this article here from the National Association of Broadcasters, NAB, this is their this is their, I, I guess, white papers website. This is an article. Why IP is the new prime time from Adrian Pennington. And this talks about how all of these companies are now competing in the digital streaming space for all of the big franchises and the stuff. And and it's no longer about a particular franchise. It's all the franchises. It's, you know, the streaming platforms are the place where everything is going to get hashed out. Very much like the cable wars from... You know, the 80s and 90s. <clears throat> but let, let me ask you this, because now we've got uh, we've got the we've got Warner. We got Disney buying Fox. We have uh, Disney also buying Marvel and and Pixar and Lucasfilm said so they have Disney Plus as a streaming service. You've got NBC Universal who has Peacock. And that's a, I think Comcast still owns NBC Universal, if I've got that right. Yes. So they have a streaming service, which doesn't do very well, but maybe it's doing better than HBO Max. You have Warner Brothers Discovery, which has HBO Max and Discovery Plus. And then you have Amazon, which has Amazon Prime. But they don't have a production company, except now they're about to buy MGM Studios for $9 billion. So when you look at the overall broad scheme of who could buy AT&T's 71%? We're left with Netflix? Amazon? Well, Amazon just bought, bought MGM. They wouldn't need to buy Warner right. Brothers. Well, and, and Apple, I mean, I guess Apple could be another contender. So you got Apple and Netflix would be the, the top two that would probably be the contenders to buy the AT&T stock out of, out of Warner Brothers Discovery. Well, MGM would have a pretty big library that Amazon might want. Yeah. And, uh, well, and if that I, deal goes through and, you know, Amazon's got James Bond, Stargate and, and who knows what else. It's crazy. I, oh yeah. These, these, it is, it, it is scale though. If, I mean, well, it is I know, scale. but it feels like this is getting too big. You know, it's, it's like the Paramount decision from the 1920s. You know, it's the studios can't, can't own the movie theaters. You can't, you can't do all of the verticals. And it feels like we're getting into that spot again, where I'm going to make the movie. I'm going to put it on my channel and you have to pay me in order to have the access to it, as opposed to let's just spread it out to all of these different places. It really does feel like we're getting into monopolies here. Oh, I'm I'm sure we were headed that way. I mean, to some degree, there are probably three or four survivors I would guess, uh, and now, I one think of the probably named all of them. There, there will always be independents. Um, you know, there will always be people who are generating content without those associations and stuff. Yeah. But and they may make a lot of money, but they'll never achieve the scale. You know, that's the, that's the thing. And um, you know, look, look at two hundred channels on cable. Yeah. You know, and how many of those are really top content? I mean, I'm I'm astounded that I have 200 channels and I can't find anything to watch. Mm-hmm. And I'm also <laughs> astounded that I can go on to Prime on 
Friday night or Saturday night and say, I want to watch a movie and I can look through 75 movies and not find anything I want to watch there. I mean, it just Mm -hmm. goes to show that content is what's most important and that we, we create massive amounts of content, but not massive amounts of good content. Yeah, <laughs> there is that. Well, and you look at AT&T stock ago, price is down. Net, Netflix was going to announce they were going to produce 81 feature films in yeah. one year. I mean, I don't know that 81 good films have been made in the history <laughs> That's of That's exactly Hollywood. right. No, That's exactly I, yeah, right. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. We got AT&T down uh, to 29 Discovery is also down because when the deal was first announced, AT&T dropped, Discovery went up. Now they're both going down. Is this is this normal when it comes when we when we get through the timeline of a merger? Uh, usually one of them overreacts. Uh, I don't think they typically end up going the same direction. But yeah, you, usually when when they announce a buyout, one of the stocks will move and if it moves enough, they say well they overpaid or underpaid no. for it. Yeah. Now, uh, Snob in the you chat know, uh, says, Jason. Uh, Snob th- says, I think Disney's numbers were inflated. They gave away a lot of free accounts with new phones. Is that a possible? Yeah. A possibility? Because mm-hmm. we had that question of whether or not they were buying up a bunch of tickets during uh, Captain Marvel uh, when people were posting all these photographs of, of empty theaters. Are are shenanigans to be expected and in deals this big when we're talking about that much money involved? They could be, I I wouldn't discount that, but on the other hand, you know, the proof is in the pudding. So even if they gave away subscriptions with your new phone, Mm -hmm. you know, the question will be what's the renewal rate uh, six months or a year from now. And it will show up in the numbers. I mean, you, you might be able to inflate some stuff for a while, but you can't forever. Yeah. And uh, it'll show up. But, you know, another part of this, uh, one of the things that you sent to me to look at was about uh, Bill Ackman's uh, new SPAC, oh, yes. SPAC. <laughs> and so these are things where they, they kind of allow uh, a, a famous investor like Bill Ackman to gather money ahead of time and then go looking for an acquisition. So if you're an investor, what you're saying is, I don't even know what he's going to buy, but he's had such a great history that I want to be in on it when I do. So I put my money in there with everybody else's and he goes out and buys. Well, as it turns out now, it looks like what he's going to do is buy 10% of universal music. Okay. It's just really interesting because what's going to happen here is just exactly what we've been talking about. This guy raised $4 billion up front. And what's he going to, what's he buying with it? Content. Yeah. That's basically what he's buying with it. If, if this deal goes through universal music has some of the top recording artists and stuff in the country today. And what you're basically doing is trying to buy the revenue streams from their royalties and stuff. Uh, it's the exact same story. It's just a different guy. Now, after, after that news came out, this one is here. This one here is from a couple of days ago. He, apparently the, the stock price of the SPAC uh, fell as much as 11.6% Friday after they announced this deal. Is that a normal reaction for something like this? I I can't say normal or abnormal because the, uh, the, the, this particular way of investing is fairly new. No, I mean, to give him, for investors to ante up $4 billion without even knowing what they're buying uh, is, is uncommon. And he's an uncommon guy, but I would think a 10% fluctuation probably doesn't influence the deal one way or another on something like this. I mean, yeah. Yeah. What, it, it, what would something like this do? Because universal music group is that part. I don't understand where the, where the corporate structure is on, on all of that. Is it part of NBC universal? Or is this a different? Is this is this I do a not different know how entity? That's set up. Because I'm well, looking at yeah. UMG, uh, UMG um, it's owned by Vivendi, the world's biggest music company. Uh, Vivendi, uh, Vivendi previously announced UMG would be spun and off so- as a standalone entity. Um, it looks like. China's 10 cent owns a little bit of it, 20%. And 
and then well, he's only he he's only proposing buying 10 percent of it i mean you know that's that's his four billion dollars or whatever right if i don't even know that that's the sole holding in his uh spac i don't know but i do know that that's the the contemplated purchase here is 10 percent of universal music mm. that's crazy Mm-hmm. And then what does he do with it? Let's let's it increase it, it. The value goes up, and then he sells it, or or he'd probably have well, he he'd probably have a ten percent with his name on it would probably be a controlling interest if he were able to vote at all. Yeah. So maybe he's got some other ideas, but I I'm trying probably, to. One of the articles said who some of the. Uh, artists are i mean it's like taylor swift and and uh you know i don't know four or five you know just gold standard artists the yeah. ones that are really uh making money today and uh, the, one, the ones so that don't it, use auto-tune it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's exactly right oh, but are there i mean what you're left uh, what you're it. buying is is the revenue stream yeah basically whether whether they reinvest that money or whether you get it paid out in cash what you're really buying is is that royalty stream. Uh, it's content. Yeah. Sci-Fi Snob says it sounds like starting a hedge fund is the way to go. Uh, and, and he's suggesting that uh, he could set up one and, and we'll pay for everything with Snob coin. <laughs> <laughs> if he was if he had bill ackman's uh record of of, of successful investing he could yeah mm-hmm. i mean yeah. well now is is that something let's let's marry a couple of different ideas here together when you're talking about somebody like ackman who could put this thing together does he have the clout to put together a cryptocurrency type of thing like this I'm sure if he did, it would get a lot of attention. It'd probably be one of the ones we talk about for months. Would, anyway. Is that is is that an accepted uh, transaction for investments yet? Has anybody has anybody do, doing it? it? Do you know? It, I don't think I don't I don't think but there are. For him, but. I I would say that there are a handful of names worldwide that you know probably could uh, make or break. And it, truthfully, Elon Musk is one of them. Yeah. I mean, you know, he got into Bitcoin. Now he's back out of Bitcoin. Tesla was going to take Bitcoin. Now they aren't going to take, you know, but people pay attention when he talks. And, uh, you know, there's Bezos is like that. Um, yeah. Gates used to be like that. Uh, you know, there Ackman, there, there, there are a few names that are that big. Yeah. If he started one, it would it'd make waves. It might yeah. not be successful, but he, no, that's the thing. Start off. Yeah. Crazy times we live in. So it's an where does, interesting time to be in the content business, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess and, they think music's not going to get better. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Netflix. Netflix is up. They're almost four hundred, uh, almost five hundred dollars a share. I mean, they're down mm-hmm. today. Uh, but you look at this. You know, this rise here from June seventh. Uh, I mean, this is all. This is all today. This jump. What are we? What are what are we missing in the Netflix news? Did Netflix announce something? No. Well, I don't know whether they did or not, but I mean, I just you know they have a very solid subscriber base. Um, you know, I mean it's it's three it's a three dollar jump today, but still, I mean that that's that's a pretty sharp climb right there in a short amount of time. Is that is that is it normal to see something like that? Well. You know, you also, if you own a competing business like Netflix, we've, we've been talking about these media companies and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the rise in speculation on their parts can actually affect the value of Netflix. You know, investors can say, man, if people are paying up for, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. then that makes my Netflix that much more mm-hmm. um, yeah. profitable too, or that much more valuable. So maybe they'll buy them next. Yeah, I mean, this is a really hot sector, Jason. I mean, there's just a <laughs> lot going on here right now. And uh, I think anybody that's even got a toe in the water is probably aware of. I mean, you know, the whole thing, go back to AMC for just a second. The fact that they're going to issue new shares or they want to issue new shares, that that's because of the stock price. You know, they're saying, oh, my gosh, this is driven up. These are now, you know, 
whatever it is, $40 a share or whatever. Yeah, Now's a good time for us to sell new shares and get a hoard of cash that we can use mm-hmm. for other stuff. It wasn't them thinking of it first. It was them thinking of it after the price had already risen to monumental heights. Yeah, yeah these short squeezers may end up uh, saving AMC and yeah. and GameStop just because <laughs> they have so much more money now than they were expecting to. Well, and so at, then you've got the pandemic kind of impacting all of that as well. Yes. As as we come out of that and as things open back up and now people are going back to the movie theaters, this almost seems perfectly timed that if I were a cynic, <clears throat> I would say that somebody, somebody gamed this out and said, okay, well, here's what we could do. Um, I don't know that anybody is really that clever when it comes to this kind of thing, but... The timing of it is very um, serendipitous, shall we say? <laughs> well, somebody gamed it out. I'm sure it worked a lot better than they were expecting. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Did you see the story? I'm just throwing this in for my wife because she said, see if you can throw this in on Jason's show okay. today. All right. Uh, the, the, the AMC guy, I can't remember his name. It's Avon. Uh, Aaron something, I yep. think, right? Okay, so he did a, a, an investor meeting this weekend, and uh, during the course of the meeting, his, 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 his uh, camera fell down, and when it fell down, it revealed that he wasn't wearing pants. He oh, was doing like a lot of people do, and they have the, he had the shirt and the tie on, and he looked right. very good, and he did all this, but it revealed that he didn't have pants on, and, <laughs> and when, so that became a big thing everybody was laughing because he picked it back up and put it back on and just kept going like this but then later when somebody quizzed him about it now this is the opportunic opportunistic statement of the century <laughs> he said he did it in honor of all the people who were buying naked shorts <laughs> i was wondering about that because i saw some mention of i think i saw posobiec Pas- mentioned something this morning about it uh i, I mean I, Who's smart enough to come up with that that quick? I like the guy better already. Oh, my. Okay. Well, we will keep an eye on that, and we will be looking at a lot of different things there. I, I You know, this thing just continues to, to flux and, and, and remain volatile. I don't know that it's going to settle anytime soon. Of course, we'll probably get another twist as we get closer with the regulators looking at these mergers and these acquisitions and deals and stuff, they could happen. They might not happen. Honestly, I never thought that the Disney Fox deal would go through because that makes Disney such a huge company on top of what it was already. And I look at the Amazon MGM deal and I think, ah, now that Disney has bought Fox and that went through, I don't think anything is going to stop any of these mergers from happening. And we're going to end up with three companies owning everything. I, I, that very well could happen because mm-hmm. business kind of gravitates that way anyway. But the important thing to remember is that big businesses become very bureaucratic. I mean, it's the only way to make money is you become very bureaucratic. Yeah. And that content is created by people who are creative and innovative. And so there's always a threat that the newcomer kills Goliath. Yeah. And uh, that's a good thing for our economy, actually. I I mean, it just, it repeats over and over again. Well, hopefully we'll be able to create some content here that, that uh, gains some traction. We don't have very much in the way of bureaucracy yet. Right. Right. Uh, So, and and I'm wearing pants today. too. I I am too. I'm I'm wearing pants and I'm wearing (laughs) new shoes. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. All right, gentlemen. Well, thanks very much for being here and, and sharing your thoughts and, and discussion on that. It's always it's always fun to look at this stuff and examine it because I learn something new all the time when we have these conversations. Because I'm as as old as I am. I'm 51. I I have told myself that I should have gotten involved in a lot of this much earlier and at least learned about it. Uh, so I'm, I'm playing catch up. So it's always good to, to get your insights on all of that as well. Dan, where can people find you online Uh, or or? sure family investment center, just uh, www.familyinvestmentcenter.com. Okay. And, and Matt, are you, are you taking on new clients? Are you in a, in a position where you can talk about We will, but I really can't uh, talk about it publicly. So if somebody knows how to get a hold of me, we can discuss it. Okay. I'm on Facebook. 
Matthew Stevens. And uh, everybody can always get a hold of us here, and the email address is livefromthebunker at scififorme.com. And one of the things that uh, I've been looking at as far as the the drama and everything that's been going on, and I know we don't get into politics here. I mean, finance, yes, as it, as it relates to various different things uh, that we've got in the entertainment business, but finance, not so much. But I do want to leave you with this one quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I think it is appropriate to a number of situations that we are looking at now. He says, violence can only be concealed by a lie, and the lie can only be maintained by violence. Thanks very much for being here, folks. This is uh, the end of this hour. Tonight on the H2O podcast, Mr. Harvey and I will be talking about musical episodes. We're not going to be singing, though. And then tomorrow night, we've got a brand new Salacious Crumbs with the latest Star Wars news. And that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here. Uh, If you are new to the channel, uh, we do invite you to subscribe and have your notifications turned on. And remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 